Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. The Boston Celtics are headed to the NBA Finals where they will face the Golden State Warriors beginning this Thursday. NBA Finals coverage, you can hear it right here on ESPN Radio and see it on ESPN and ABC. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Crone and Harry Douglas sitting in for the guys on this Monday morning. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Be sure to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you get your podcast. So Stephen Curry is the engine, Harry, that makes the Golden State Warriors offense go. We know that, and this team is beautiful in terms of ball movement. That has been, uh, they're like the definition of a well-timed orchestra, where everybody is playing their instrument, hitting the same note at the right time in the right key. And Curry is the reason for that. He's been the reason for that since the 2014-15 season when they won their first NBA Finals. And even through the years where they had ups and downs, when they lost to the Raptors during the 2019 season and then the following year, they didn't make the playoffs. And they've had this two-year absence from getting back to where they typically are in the month of June. Now they're back there, six time in eight seasons, and the conversation around Stephen Curry shifts to... Can he play the way he does every other time of year now in the NBA Finals? Because his career average over 13 seasons, 34.4 minutes per game. That's how much he he typically averages. And then within that, 24.29 points per game. His averages take a his like stats take kind of a dip in the postseason. They're not awful by any stretch. He had 20, he's been in 28 NBA Finals games in his career 26.5 points 6.2 assists and 5.7 rebounds in those games so I say those numbers that's not going to make you bat an eye and say okay like that's not good or anything but the finals have been moments there have been moments in the finals where Curry has almost not taken a step back but just not been the Steph Curry we're used to seeing and in part probably because he doesn't have to all yeah. those times because, you know, there was a stretch where they were winning when they had Kevin Durant and they had so much offensive firepower. It didn't matter who had the ball in their hands. And then outside of that, you've got Clay Thompson, who, you know, is always good for one of those Game 5, Game 6 Clay performances in, in dropping six or seven threes. And then Draymond Green, too, is being part of whether you want him to, like, play the center and, and be small or if you want him to, you know, be on the wing and, and, and truly generate some offensive production there. They can do so much with so many different pieces that it's not always on Steph to be the guy in the playoffs, but I feel like this time around we're going to judge him on if he can be that guy in the NBA Finals. Yeah, and I'll say even the year that they – uh was up 3-1 and lost the finals to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. If a guy like Harrison Barnes, who was on that team, Mm -hmm. if he could have made half of his shots, I think that series would have been a little bit differently as well. But when you look at a guy like Steph, right, and his legacy, three-time NBA champion, two-time MVP of the league, unanimous, one of those times as well, but no finals MVP. And – we're talk- having this conversation because one of the things I want to talk about is that uh, you look at the top 10 players or top 11 all-time right now, 
and you look at those players, I look at a guy like Magic Johnson, who's uh, won the championship five times, three times finals MVP. You look at Michael Jordan, six-time NBA champ, six times finals MVP. And no one's going to touch that stat from Jordan, like where his six MVPs. Because the gap between him and LeBron, I believe, is three, right? No, two. Because LeBron LeBron is four. LeBron is four and four. Tim Duncan is five and three. Shaq is four and three. Kobe is three and two. But the moral of the story is this. All the guys that that, that you can list as being a top ten player all time in the National Basketball Association have a finals MVP. Only one player on that list in my eyes, um, well, in everybody's eyes because of the stats, Mm -hmm. says it all, is Wilt Chamberlain. He only is a one-time finals MVP with two finals. So my question lies, who do you take off if you think Steph Curry, and I see, I don't think Steph Curry can just win this title in finals MVP. I think he has to win two more. Okay. Because you look at the numbers. Now, Wilt Chamberlain is the same guy who scored 100 points in the basketball game. Allegedly. We're not taking him off. Okay. We're not taking him off. He's also a guy, top 10 scoring all time. You look at, uh, in a single game, you look at those players, Wilt Chamberlain's on there five times with 100 points, 78 points, 73, uh, twice, and 72. The thing is with Steph, like when when you bring up that top 10 argument, Mm -hmm. and of course, if if he they win they're at the finals right now if they win and he gets finals mvp no no question in my opinion i know that you believe he needs to win too because the numbers that you you know just threw out there of players who have won multiple finals mvps on top of multiple championships it would be the easy differentiating factor of being like no no brainer he's right here maybe you know top top 10 and like are you figuring out you're putting him like 6 7 8 whatever but no one has revolutionized the game in the way that Stephen Curry has in this modern era of the NBA. So that, for me, carries heavier weight on where you put him top 10 all time, if you have him top 10 all time, than it does winning a finals MVP. Now, it would be important for his legacy to perform – at a consistently good level, not lay clunkers the way that he has. I mean, I saw it a couple times in those Cleveland series. Uh, and even dur- against the Raptors when they were there the last time they reached the NBA Finals. Like, he didn't have any performance to make you that would make you go, wow, like this is the Steph Curry that we were used to seeing in terms of him being, you know, the back-to-back MVP in that one year in 2016 where it was unanimous. But I'm looking at his numbers right now outside of – Take that back. Outside of that 47-point performance that he had against Toronto, I believe that was game four. Excuse me, game three. I do remember that one. It wasn't the game that Durant hurt his uh, Achilles, but, you know, shortly thereafter. And then they end up losing that series in six. Like, you're not seeing – you're seeing performances in, like, the low to mid-20s. That's what Steph has been in the finals, not throughout the postseason. I mean, he's had incredible moments throughout the postseason, but it's just like when he gets to that stage where – Things tend to shift a little bit, and it's you know almost a blessing of having too many good things around you, right? See, like that's the, that's the that's the case though I'm making is because you look at those guys that that are now in the top ten, top eleven. That's not the case with those guys, right? You see what I'm saying? But who do you take off of the list if you 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 look at a Magic Johnson, you look at Michael Jordan, LeBron, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Kobe, Larry Bird, Kareem, uh, Elijah Wan, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. Who do you take off of that list? 
to throw Steph Curry in. That's that becomes that that's the piece to me. It's like, who are we gonna take off to put him? You can't take Bill Russell off. Bill Russell mm-hmm. won eleven championships and the NBA Finals MVP is named after Bill Russell. So we can't take Bill Russell off. Yeah. And I just I think back to that first year when Andre Iguodala won it and you remember like Iguodala yes. said after the fact that Steph should have won Finals MVP that year. I thought he should have won it. I thought he was going to. I mean, he was tied with Iguodala as the team's leading scorer, and Andre at that point was coming off the bench. He was sixth man of the year for this team. Um, And Curry still had more assists. And in every game except the one where he scored 19 and Clay had 34 uh, for the Golden State Warriors, that was that first series that they had 2014-2015. It's just I feel like we're splitting hairs. And maybe that's like what we do that, at this it, point because it's such great. Like, of course, of course. And it is such greatness that we're witnessing. And I know we had Tim Kawakami, who's the editor-in-chief of the Bay Area Athletic, on Kenny and Carlin the other day. And he's covered the Warriors for a very long time. And we asked him about this specific thing with finals MVP. Steph is not going to be the one to tell you that this means something to him, that it is the one thing that's eluded him his entire career. It's not his personality. Everyone else is going to point that out. And I do think it means something, though. While he's not saying it publicly, there probably is that private desire to try to get that just to prove, okay, because every, every step along the way, I feel like there have been people who have tried to tear down is probably not the right word, but trying to diminish Stephen Curry in the top 10 conversation, say he's not this, he's not that, and always judging him up against LeBron James. Well, we did the same thing with like the, I guess like the last player, like LeBron, um, you know, fitting him into the top 10 mix. Like people did it with him and Kobe, and Kobe with Michael Jordan, and the list kind of goes on and on and goes backwards. But Curry's done so much to revolutionize basketball, and the fact that he's been part of this stretch, which we, we've we talked about. Yeah. Um, I have the stat here from our, our Sports Center update. You know, the way that the Warriors are playing right now, six finals in eight seasons, the most recent team to do that was 91, 90, 91 Bulls through the 1998 season. So that was the three-peat and then repeating the three-peat. Um, and the Lakers and Celtics, long before that, were the only other teams to do that. So the Warriors are already in historic territory here and Steph Curry's the reason for that. Like, let's not get it twisted. But I got to 30... say this. Steph Curry is my favorite basketball player to watch in the of National course. Basketball Mine Association. Too. And I might be a homer because my brother had the chance to play with him. Mm-hmm. So I got to see a ton of games of him and Clay and Draymond and that core group. And the way those guys put the work in, especially him and Clay shooting the basketball, sure. it's not by accident that they shoot the way they do. They actually put the time in. But Steph Curry, right, if I had to pick one player in the National Basketball Association over the last, I'll say, 10 years, besides my brother when he played, Steph Curry is my favorite basketball player to watch. You're not alone there. I mean, I think a lot of people, and that's the fun thing about this Warriors team, are they universally going to be rooted for, even though they came in as the favorites long before the line came out when it was determined who they were going to play? They've been the favorites to win the finals since like last Wednesday and they have so many good stories on that team whether it's Steph reinventing himself at this point of his career he's not you know the st- he, he talked about it the other day he's like I got kids that are six nine and three it's a lot different for me chasing this finals championship than it was in 14-15 you've got Clay coming back from uh, you know multiple injuries the Achilles the ACL and then on top of that 
You know, Kevon Looney has a great story to follow. Guy had, you know, two hip surgeries, was, you know, a two-way player for most of his career. Andrew Wiggins reinvented himself in Golden State. So I feel like maybe they are the universal favorites, not only in terms of, like, the odds in in Las Vegas, but in terms of the overall story, too. Isn't that crazy, though? That's, that's like, rooting for house money. (laughs) But isn't it crazy, though, a team that has won so much and has— it's, it's a likable like, dynasty. Yes. Like, even if you don't want to include this group in the original dynasty, and I, and I tend to think that that's kind of like with the way that you do it with the Bulls, because there's like the three championships starting in the early 90s, and then there's 96 through 98. And, I mean, you, there's different eras of that, because Dennis Rodman wasn't part of those early ones because he was still in Detroit. But I think you can view the Golden State Warriors in the same thing. There's a collective overall dynasty, but it's just different eras within that. And this one is a likable dynasty. They're not the supervillains or whatever they would call themselves they before. They still have young like, guys on this team. They still have James Wyman. They still have He hasn't Moses played. Mo- That's the crazy I thing. Know. Like We talk about this and it's Kaminga. like, you know. Yeah, Jonathan Kaminga is 19 years old. They have those three guys like, to bring along with that culture moving forward. It's wild. Uh, and we'll see, I guess, you know, if, if Steph Curry can cement himself this June. In the NBA Finals as a top 10 player, I kind of think he's already there, but maybe more people will be willing to agree with that if he does indeed win a Finals and win the Finals MVP all wrapped up in one. Keyshawn J. Will and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. Your small business keeps you on the go. Progressive Commercial Insurance keeps your policy within reach with our easy-to-use mobile app. Learn more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. If you look at the Cowboy offensive line, I'm not so sure they're as bad as it looks. Who's America's team? Who's the quarterback of America's team? Those Dallas Cowboys. Who does Stephen A. love to pile up on every Monday morning after they have a letdown? It's the Dallas Cowboys. So Dak Prescott is most clearly the guy with the most pressure on him. I think the reality for Dak Prescott is we've never seen him really elevate his football team. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Harry Douglas, kicking it with you on this Monday morning. Jerry Jones, once again, talking about his receiver room. Once again, throwing a little shade at Amari Cooper, a (laughs) player that was traded out of Dallas earlier this offseason, which by default would make C.D. Lamb, a former first-round pick, the number one receiver in that group for Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys offense. What Jerry Jones told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram is that CeeDee Lamb will be an upgrade over Amari Cooper as that true number one. Jones said he wasn't trying to slight Cooper, who, again, was traded in March because his production didn't match his $20 million price tag. But he acknowledged that Cooper had had issues off the field stuff. Jerry had been very outspoken about the COVID stuff and him not being vaccinated and him missing time because he ended up on the COVID list. Uh, And that Lamb had the makings of a more complete number one receiver, quote, in production, in the huddle, and off the field. (laughs) Okay. What does that mean? That that quote right there, production in the huddle and off the field. How do you take that? (laughs) Production in the huddle, what, listening to the quarterback call a play? Like going out there and executing the play? Like, oh, I don't know. I, I just don't like this from Jerry because I will tell you this. Amari Cooper really doesn't give a damn about what Jerry Jones is saying right now. He got traded to the Cleveland Browns, and he's in Cleveland right now worried about what they need to do. Um, 
in my eyes, I think Jerry needs to focus more on just who's in Dallas right now, mm-hmm. not a simple fact of who he traded away. But I said this when they drafted C.D. Lamb. He's going to be the number one. And it was only a matter of time, in my eyes, before Amari Cooper was shipped out of there. Because when you look at a guy like C.D. Lamb, you look at his 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 yak and the way he, when he has the football in his hands, his, his um, run-after-a-catch ability, um, he does punt returns. He can, you can put him on kickoffs if you want to. But he can play inside. He can play outside. He does a lot of work inside, but you mm-hmm. can move him both places. And you can have him be a centerpiece to where a defense coming in and a defense coordinator can't just say, you know what, CeeDee Lamb is going to be in this spot. This is how we're going to defend him. Now when he's lining up all over the place, going in motion, you don't know where he's going to be, and you got to figure out where you want to double-team him from. Um, Amari Cooper, I thought it was times – while being a Dallas Cowboy when they needed him to step up the most and he didn't do so. Now, does that say that I don't think Amari Cooper is a good receiver? No, because his release game off of the line of scrimmage is one of the best in the National uh, Football in, in, in the National Football League. I almost said the NBA, the National Football mm-hmm. League. But when it comes to overall um, the better receiver, I think it's C.D. Lamb. In Dallas, Mark Cooper, in those four seasons, he had the two seasons where he had over 1,000 yards. The other seasons, um, he fell short of it. He had injuries, though. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's probably what Jerry's getting at in, on top of the inconsistency. I think the off-the-field comment there was because of the, the COVID, COVID stuff. stuff. Yep. Like, Jerry was very outspoken last off last season in – how he felt about Amari Cooper not being vaccinated and, and missing time, getting himself put onto the COVID-19 list. And you know, that's how I read that comment. But, you know, when I was out in Oakland and, you know, Amari Cooper was out there with, with Derek Carr, it just felt like he could never reach his potential because of who his quarterback was. And those two just like were never a good fit. I don't know if we ever really got to see him reach his potential in Dallas because he went off so quietly. And, and, you know, maybe that is injuries, and maybe that's, you know, the way that he reduced his impact. But now, C.D. Lamb, third year in, thrust Mm -hmm. into this number one spot. I feel like we can pay attention to the top five receiver conversation and expect that he's probably going to work his way in there this year. Here's the tough part about that, though. Michael Gallup's coming off an injury. Right, you don't have Amari Cooper taking a, l- a little bit of the, uh, the, the attention off, off okay. you. Um, they had James Washington that they they got from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Can those other guys provide enough productivity? What about Jalen Tolbert, for, the guy they just drafted? Yeah, but he has to work his way in. Yeah, you know I get I mean? it. I mean, like, teams are not going to automatically. Do- I mean, I, le- no. I learned this with Justin Jefferson when I covered him his rookie year. Like, teams are not automatic- automatically going to pay you attention and respect you to W. Oh. As a first-year receiver. It. You got to earn it. Okay, I take that back. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you see what Wheat Martindale said about Jamar mm-hmm. Chase, and Jamar Chase was balling. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, he fired. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Um, well, I, I think that this, like, C.D. Lamb conversation, like, in terms of where the Cowboys stack up in the NFC East, very clearly they don't have the best receiver room. That belongs to the Philadelphia Eagles, yep. what, what they did this offseason in, in the draft, and they went out and traded for A.J. Brown to have him in the same room with Jalen Smith. And you give Jalen Hurts an opportunity to show you he is your guy at quarterback. It's the reason that they didn't draft a quarterback last year. It's the reason they didn't draft a quarterback this season. So, 
you know, the way that this works out for the Dallas Cowboys, I don't think their receiver room is any better now that they don't have someone like Amari Cooper. I don't think so either. Which just puts way more pressure on C.D. Lamb to be that guy. But Dalton Schultz re-signing him, um, who was, I think, the best option for Dak Prescott last mm-hmm. year, Not maybe not so numbers-wise, or he may have been numbers-wise, but he's going to be a vital piece in what they do. They have to get back to establishing the run, winning the line of scrimmage, and putting taking a ton of pressure off Dak and not just being a passing team. It's one of the things I worried about when Mike McCarthy got that job is because he likes to pass the football. And this Dallas Cowboys team, before Mike McCarthy got there, were a run-first offense uh, with Ezekiel Elliott. They have to get back to that. So is he an X or is he a Z? From your perspective, Cooper. Or not Cooper, Lamb. I think Lamb could be either one. And well, he could be and he could be an F. He can play inside as well. So you can put because he can get off the press very well. But if he's a number one receiver, what do they do with him? You want you want to put him at X. Okay. Okay. But I, I say figured, I like, say that, but we had Roddy White as our number one and Roddy played Z. And Michael Jenkins was the X and then Julio was the X when he first came, but Roddy was still our number one. But you you fit, but Roddy could play all over the football field. That that's the luxury you have when you can move around. When you're just stuck as a Z and you mm-hmm. don't have the luxury of understanding and knowing the offense and can move around, sure. now teams can kill you more. I'm just trying to figure out like where they you know where they can put him when you talk about he's gonna draw double teams now. Teams are gonna throw bracket coverage at him, cloud coverage, like what have you. Like he's gonna be in a tough situation to produce if there's nobody else to take some of that attention away from him. And even last year though, I feel like, you know, with like five or six games left into the season, we knew he was the number one receiver. Oh, like yes. he's already risen to that level, but can you do it now that your biggest decoy, if you want to call him Mark, I mean, Mark Cooper was the number one receiver at one point in his career. Like if you want to take him out of the mix, now's your chance to really shine and show you can be that guy. Sounds like you believe he can because they I can do can. they can put him so many different places. I think they can too. I don't think he's the best receiver from that draft class. I think that very clearly is is Justin Jefferson, and we've seen kind of how he even I adjusted, agree there too. <laughs> like where he adjusted in his second year to added attention. Defense is trying to play him differently, and he still finished with another thousand yard receiving season. I feel like he's capable of that. Uh, C.D. Lamb, that is, but you know, to me. It's kind of like no harm, no foul here with like the Amari Cooper thing. Like they traded him out of there. A lot of it was for salary cap reasons, and he gets a fresh start in a place that now lost Jarvis Landry due to you know free agency. He like so Amari Cooper has a good situation that he's going to potentially with a better quarterback too. And a run first offense. So now you're going to be facing one on one coverage a lot more. Yeah. So I mean, this is. it's another Jerry Jones comment because anytime he talks, it becomes news. But <laughs> I uh, I don't know if there was too much of a slight in there outside of the off-the-field comment because we knew where he was going there. But, you know, Cooper and, uh, Cooper and Lamb together were in a good situation. Now it's going to be Lamb's chance to prove that he can indeed be the guy in Dallas. Straight ahead, the slap heard around the world Not at the Oscars, but in Major League Baseball. That's next. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? 
You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Courtney Cronin, and Harry Douglas kicking it with you on this Monday morning. It's Memorial Day, so there's a ton of baseball on our airwaves. Be sure to tune in to a National League battle this afternoon as the Cardinals host the Padres. Coverage begins 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Who better to bring in as we talk some Major League Baseball than ESPN Baseball Insider and host of the Baseball Tonight podcast, Buster Olney, joining Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Buster, I'm going to ask you about Tommy Pham's slap. I don't want to get to it right off the bat because I feel like we have heard so much about the slap heard around baseball. But I want to start with the New York Mets and their pitching situation because I know Jacob deGrom talked the other day about his shoulder and where he's at in his rehab process. What's the latest with him? Yeah, so it's likely that when he comes back, he'll be close to a year, maybe even beyond a year since he last pitched in the big leagues, which was July 7th of 2021. But I got to tell you, there is a lot of growing optimism within the organization that he's going to come back and have an impact. They feel like he's hitting all the marks uh, as he goes through his throwing program, increasing velocity, increasing distance. Uh, I talked to folks who spent time with the drum over the weekend, and they talked about how you know, he seemed really excited to come back and be part of what the Mets have, uh, which to this point has been a terrific season. And they're going to need DeGrom. They're going to need Max Scherzer if they're going to meet uh, Steve Cohn's goal of winning the World Series. Uh, so there are reinforcements on the way for this beleaguered Mets rotation, and, and they're just continue to play well even in the absence of those guys. Buster, when you look at this Major League Baseball season up to this point, who has been your biggest surprise in baseball? Boy, uh, for me, you know, the biggest surprise to this point might even be the Yankees. <laughs> like, I, I thought they would have had a chance to be good, but the idea that they would be on a 106, 108-win pace is a surprise. You know, we, we came into spring training uh, questioning whether or not they had enough depth in their rotation, uh, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, guys could stay on the field. But to this point, they have had that. And, you know, as we move forward, they still have to figure out their bullpen issues. Uh, and as we move forward, I think yeah, all eyes are going to be on Aaron Judge 
uh, in terms of whether or not he could be the first player in more than 20 years to hit 60 home runs in a season. The Yankees offered him $213 million uh, at the, uh, just as the season began. He turned it down. He made a big bet on himself, and it looks like he's going to cash in big time with the type of uh, season he's having. We're talking with Buster Olney, ESPN Baseball Insider, joining Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. Since we are at the quarter, I guess that would be the third of the way through the season. That's what we usually look at Memorial Day as and can kind of judge this attrition, this sport that's based on attrition by different sections of the calendar. I wanted to ask you about the way that like the baseball and like hitting streaks this year, because it doesn't feel like there are any doubles anymore or there are any triples. And I'm wondering like why that is. And if something changed this year, either with the baseball, the way that the ball's being hit, the way that it's being fielded, the athletes, like what do you attribute that to? Pretty, you hit every box. Okay, <laughs> You check every box right there in your assessment of what's going on. Look, I mean, first and foremost, uh, baseball continues to, to focus on building pitching staffs with these high-velocity guys. Seems like every game you're seeing more and more in a higher percentage of pitches throwing 96 miles per hour and above, and it's clear that the hitters are struggling to keep up. You know, they are have in recent years gone for more of an all-or-nothing approach. Uh, you know, swinging for the fences or strikeouts. You know, that continues. We're seeing batting averages go down. There's been a ton of discussion about the baseball. And why wasn't it flying early in the year? Did it have something to do with the humidors? And, yes, the defenses. Uh, you know, the shifts continue to be an issue, which is why I think that next year you're going to see a change in that. You're going to see uh, rules perhaps uh, forcing infielders to stay on the infield dirt, which would stop the four-man outfields that we're seeing. And those are being used more and more, which are probably cutting down on the number of doubles. There's no doubt right now pitching is ruling the sport which is why in recent weeks to see the spike in offense, I think it's been something baseball's been excited about. Buster, you had the lockout before the season actually started. You have Jock Peterson getting slapped. You have Tim Anderson and Josh uh, Donaldson, their whole debacle. Is the image of Major League Baseball struggling right now? Uh, boy, struggling, you know, it's funny because each of those, I look at that as isolated instances. I said last week, I thought Major League Baseball missed a tremendous opportunity to send a message about what's acceptable and what's not in terms of what's said between players and the Donaldson case. I thought he should have gotten more games. I thought Rob Manfred should have led that conversation with the discipline that was rendered. Uh, with Jock Peterson, <laughs> I, think, I think the most impressive uh, event over the weekend was Jock Peterson mostly being able to keep a straight face as he described the events as they occurred. <laughs> and then him talking to reporters and talking about a, you know, a longstanding feud over fantasy football, that, that's impressive that he was able to hold his laughter for as long as he did. I do think, to your point, uh, Harry, that, uh, that Major League Baseball and the Player Associations do a better job of marketing the young players. We're all still waiting for that time when the two sides, the union and MLB, can be more collaborative in celebrating the young players because they got a ton of guys. They're really excited players. They're great storylines. You know, they're fun things going on, but they really do need to work together to make that happen. Buster, one more before I let you go, since it is Memorial Day and we are looking at like the first third of the season, surprises and disappointments in the AL Central. The White Sox are a team that have found themselves in the news recently for stuff that's 
kind of like the off the field stuff, but it was on the field, the Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson situation, but also Dallas Keuchel getting DFA'd the other day. And this was a team that had World Series aspirations and then just got off to a completely disastrous start throughout April, whether it was injuries, inconsistencies, and not having an offense. And then a team like the Minnesota Twins for a while felt like they were trying to close the gap with the White Sox and then jump them all together. Like, how have the Twins become baseball's biggest surprise at this point of the season? I think because the upgrades that they affected during the course of the offseason. If Sonny Gray got hurt, uh, but he certainly was a help. We saw them sign Carlos Correa in the offseason. They have a very progressive front office, which is why leading up the trade deadline, it'll be fascinating to see what they do. Because Correa, you know, sign that uh, three-year deal with an opt-out after the first year, and what executives with other teams are wondering is, you know what, will the Twins be both buyers and sellers? Flip Correa for value maybe midseason while adding to other parts of their team. You know, they have looked terrific. You know, it's great that Byron Buxton is on the field because when he is on the field, he's one of the most dynamic players in baseball. You know, with the White Sox, I, I mean, if you were to list teams and how they're being affected by injuries, they would be number one, no question about it. And it seems like every day we hear about someone going down, whether it's Lance Lynn or most recently Tim Anderson, uh, that situation has to stabilize, I think, before they're going to be a threat to the Twins. Buster, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for the time. Okay, guys, great to talk with you. He is Buster Olney, host of the Baseball Tonight podcast, ESPN Baseball Insider, joining us here on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at hdouglas83, at Courtney R. Cronin, at ESPN Radio. You can also hit us up on the phones this morning, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Straight ahead, will a new coach be the thing to get the Lakers back in the championship hunt? That's next, KJM, ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. You had a nice flex on Twitter a few minutes ago, Harry Douglas. Uh, I saw your lobster tails as we were talking about Memorial Day barbecues, which I'm sure most people listening to the show are probably gearing up, going to get their grocery runs and alcohol runs done now so they can enjoy their afternoon. You have a very particular form of uh, cookout etiquette that you, you, are, you enact at your house. You have fancy food. This is not no bar, no burgers, no hot dogs. I don't even think you know what a bratwurst was because I asked you and you completely ignored me. Um, you cook lobster at your barbecues. I do, I do. That shrimp, you know, I just okay. I've been cooking a long time. My parents taught me how to cook when I was about six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, you know, you evolve. And I had family in Louisville while I was in school there, and they didn't really know I can cook. So when they see me cook now, they're like, so all this time you tricked us just because you – I was in training camp. I was playing football. I didn't want to cook then. Yeah, I but, understand. But during COVID, it gave me an opportunity to be home a lot more. 
And during that time, I was cooking breakfast, lunch, dinner every day. So my wife was like, thank goodness. Like, So your cooking skills took a step up during the pandemic. Mine did, too. Like, I felt like I grilled more often during the pandemic than I have at any other point and tried out things that I never did before, like cedar plank salmon, not salmon, cedar plank salmon. (laughs) Um, See, I got jokes, too. But uh, it's... I mean, it's an art. I want to come to, like, I, I, we're taking the entire control room, and we're gonna, about to get, hop a plan. I know you have to go to Seaport tomorrow to do, to do the show from down there, but we want to come to your house for the next cookout. Um, and I really do want these lobster tails. I, I'm looking at them right now on Twitter. Uh, and everybody's invited because, no. see, since I've been working here. Don't, I, don't. Bring I've, the lobster I've, tails. I've keep invited. the lobster tails in the fridge or just don't Yeah, even, Pat, don't Pat's pick them up. anti-lobster so, tails. What did you call it? A vehicle for butter eating? Just, they're just a vehicle for butter. So tell me, butter what do you delicious. want? Tell me, what do you want, Pat? What do you want me to cook you? Just talk to me. I get, Communication is the best thing. I'm not cooking no just damn hot, hot dog. dog. You know, if you ask me dogs. for a hot dog, you better go to Sonic. Go what? somewhere else. <laughs> What's the thing I heard about the hot dogs in New England? Uh, someone was trying to get me to get them the other night. They pop when you eat them. Y'all ever heard that? Nope. Nah, stay, like, stay they, away from that joint. That don't that don't sound like it's something. I know. I mean, like, obviously, like, ballpark Frank's the slogan is they plump when you cook them. But I think it was Camillo here at ESPN Radio told me that there's something about like a New England hot dog that it's got like a it like pops when you eat it, like it, it like crunches or something. Am I getting this wrong? I'm, Ask Pat what he want me true. to cook, and he gonna tell me a it's damn probably undercooked. I got damn hot dog. Harry, cook me a hot dog. All the things he could have named, he gonna name a damn hot dog. I think he's just trying to take it easy on you. Because you're inviting us down to Atlanta, we really did invite ourselves. Hot dogs. And uh, we, do we have to bring the food? Are you going to no, try the food? No, I got you. Okay, I got you. Harry's got it. Harry's got it. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Talk about the ultimate cookout song. We got Harry in studio here in Bristol dancing. It's a wedding song too, right? Wedding and cookout. Can do a wedding cookout for Memorial but guess Day what, if Courtney? that uh, tickles your fancy. You make me happy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Courtney Cronin, the aforementioned Chef Harry Douglas, joining you here in studio. The Los Angeles Lakers have a new head coach. Darvin Ham, a four-year assistant with the Milwaukee Bucks, is now taking over for Frank Vogel in L.A. He has the official Twitter stamp of approval from Coach LeBron himself, <laughs> who said that he was excited to get him out there and, and for him to be his head coach. And he was chosen from a pool that had a lot of really big names here. I mean, for a while, the names like Quinn Snyder, Doc Rivers, uh, Terry Stotts thrown in there, Nick Nurse, all of those names did not end up panning out. But the Los Angeles Lakers chose a, chose a, a former player who actually played against LeBron, uh, a long time ago, and <laughs> that's somebody crazy. Eh, that's always wild to me, and, and somebody who has the respect of the likes of you know Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you know was part of a championship team in Milwaukee last season. 
Do you think that he's going to be given enough of a runway here, though, to do what he needs to do to get this team back to a championship? Because I worry, and you and I have talked about this on ESPN Radio, that there's a little bit too much meddling from the outside, people who actually don't work for the Lakers anymore, but are trusted voices for Jeannie Buss, the owner of the team, that he won't be able to be in in a position where he's calling the shots from day one the way that he should be. I think the past two seasons should be eye-opening for the Lakers organization and uh, people in, in high regards when it comes to that team to not fall for the same trap twice, right? you you got to learn from your mistakes, and it's one of the hardest things for people to do is to self-evaluate and, and, and realize where they messed up and where things went rogue and went wrong. Mm. With this Lakers organization, you don't really want to have too many hands in the pot because – you're going to limit the head coach and his abilities and the things that he want to do and the direction he wants to take with this team. Now, choosing um, um, Darvin Ham um, as their next head coach, I think it was a great selection with the simple fact that he's a former player. He's a guy that can understand these players inside and out. You just mentioned mm-hmm. he played against LeBron. But I want to turn to this year and coaches that had success, right? You look at a guy like Willie Green, who was a first-year head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans, Mm -hmm. and they gave the Phoenix Suns everything they could handle in six games in the first round of the playoffs. He had success, a former player, had good mentorship um, in the coaching rankings, was in Phoenix last year when when they played in the NBA Finals and lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. Then you have a guy like Ime Doka, who we see right now, who is a former player, thrived, Gained the trust of his players, and I will reiterate this, how Al Horford mentioned some of these things last night, right? Those guys trusting each other, buying into the defensive end. Not just two or three guys, but one through 15 and everybody on the coaching staff and the entire organization. Uh, There was times throughout these playoffs when Idoka may have gotten to it with players, but they have that respect for one another. Hey, it is what it is. We see what happened. Let's go back out there and play. And now he's taking that team to the finals against the Golden State Warriors. You look at a guy like Jason Kidd, who's not a first-year head coach, but who was on that Lakers staff. Yeah. And they didn't want to let Jason Kidd do what he wanted to do when it came to picking people on the staff and that whole nine and that debacle that we heard of. But his team, the Dallas Mavericks, were just in the Western Conference Finals. So you look at those three guys and you look at the promise. So it's there. Now, is that organization going to allow him to be great? Because sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. Yeah, that's what worries me because I remember when they started out their search and you're hearing that Phil Jackson has a voice in this, Magic Johnson has a voice in this, and that I know uh, Jeannie Buss had the interview with the Los Angeles Times and was like, yeah, like I still talk to these people even though they're not with the organization in any official capacity. And then, of course, like the day after that interview comes out, there's the report that Phil Jackson would want LeBron James traded. If I'm Darvin Ham, I want to go to a place where I have the say over who I'm going to be coaching and who I'm not. And it's interesting because Woj, two days ago, just put out a report saying that the Lakers are going to try to find avenues to trade Russell Westbrook could also be stuck with him next season. That's not really news in a way. Like, no. you would try to dump that contract if you can. It's going to be a hard one to do because of how much they guaranteed him. But, like, I just want to know for, like, my own sanity, it, did Darvin Ham say, yeah, I'll come here, let's start making, let's start the process of trying to get 
this guy out of here. We're going to build around Anthony Davis. LeBron's going to be part of things for the final two years of his career, so on and so forth. I just, I don't want to see anything sort of happen until we know, like, how much control Darvin Ham is actually going to have over all of this and how much of a runway they're going to give him to be successful because there's just too much meddling in this team. I remember, like, the, the, the story about Kurt Rambis last year, like, who's a front office person now, being in meetings talking about lineups and being like, this guy needs to be playing here. You're this coaching guy. and you look. It's just the weird. The hell is he here hap- for? That does not happen. No, so and so, no so lie. much meddling. When I, when I was in Atlanta with the Falcons, right, mm-hmm. our receiver coach would be coaching and – I remember our head coach sent somebody in there to to basically see what he was doing and come back and report. Sure. He kicked them kicked them out of the meeting. Get your ass out of here. You I'm shouldn't com- be in there. I'm gonna come in here snipping, <laughs> coming out of meeting so you can go back and tell the head man exactly what we have going on. But I'll tell you this: there's no way in the world that Darvin Ham took this job without the mindset that LeBron James was gonna be on the floor for him next season. It's no I- way he took that job. And I don't think he takes this job unless he gets the seal of oh, yeah. approval from Coach LeBron because we know that LeBron's not a good GM from his experience <laughs> that we had last year of bringing Russell Westbrook Memorial in. Memorial Day truths. Yes, trading trading away <laughs> half the team just to satisfy you know get, you know playing with his friends. So I'm sure that they're not going to let him do that again. But of course, he's going to have a say in who his head coach is going to be, which is why. I think that Darvin Ham is there. I don't think this happens whatsoever if LeBron is not going to want to play there. Because remember, LeBron doesn't have to sign. You know, he's a couple months away from that go. long-term from the extension that he could sign with the Lakers. And if he doesn't, then he's ending up testing out free agency next year. As Jeannie Buss had publicly said, they're trying to entice him to stay and make him end his career as a Los Angeles Laker. I think that. that very obviously starts with who your head coach is going to be. <laughs> you want to get along with him, right? Like, have we not seen this mistake, though, with Tyron Lue, with James, with Frank Vogel, like, you know, all under LeBron James? Like, he had say in all of those things. Hopefully they get it right this time, and hopefully Coach LeBron is happy uh, with the overall outcome here in Darvin Ham getting hired. Straight ahead, why Jimmy Butler may have answered a critical question last night. That's next. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. 